What y'all listening to? Lime My Highlight Podcast. Welcome back to the show, your positive podcast, safe space and great place for a positive outlook on life. This podcast is brought to you by the nonprofit organization, The Block Gives Back, just like every podcast from here on out, whose goal is to rejuvenate and improve the community with active involvement and by recruiting local leaders to assist with their cause. They're still giving out food each and every week with groceries also, and uh, this past week has been pretty much the same. They're constantly exceeding their goals. So check out their website, theblockisback.org, to see where you can drop off some school supplies for their next big event coming up, The Block to School. You can also make a monetary donation and sign up for reoccurring donations as well. Uh, For those who don't know, The Block to School event will be going down on August 22nd, 2020, right out front of The Block Shop located in Philadelphia at 6831 Torresdale Ave, 19135 where they will be giving out 1,000 bags filled with school supplies and are inviting and encouraging community organizations and city leaders to come out and participate. Right now, donations can be dropped off every Saturday between 12 p.m. and 5 p.m. So yeah, that's that event going on. I got the results from the last poll we provided by our partners at Audiograph. And this week is all about environmental news at least that's what the poll numbers show so that's what we're going to be talking about Um, be sure to participate in the next poll where you can select from a list of questions that you'd like me to ask my next my next guest her name is gill and she has a podcast of her own called sober powered and sober powered is where she explains how and why she chose a life of sobriety and discusses the science of alcohol addiction along with her experiences getting sober. She's got a bachelor's degree in chemistry and a master's in biology, so I think it's safe to say that she knows what she's talking about. And if there's anything you'd like me to ask her, you can participate in the links for the polls and we'll take it from there. Um, My lovely sisters have come to join me all the way out from Philadelphia out here in sunny sunny San Diego for the summer, so... I haven't been as active as I should be on social media and I'll probably less be less active as well until they leave anyway, because we're just doing a lot of stuff, spending a lot of time with them, you know, family time. Got to give myself a break, but I got a lot going on, but I will definitely be putting out a podcast episode as usual, as much as I can. So stay tuned. As with every podcast, let's start off with our unrelated fun fact. This week's unrelated fun fact is about spiders and frogs, specifically the relationship between the two, and the two would be a giant tarantula and a tiny frog known as a microhylid. Specifically, frogs in Peru, India, Sri Lanka, and other places all over the world, they live symbiotically with spiders. What's stranger is that the tarantula is very capable of killing and eating these little frogs, but they don't tend to do so. Scientists have observed very young spiders grabbing these frogs and examining them with their mouth parts and then letting them go unharmed, which is a very disgusting and weird, uh, creepy visualization for me. But the types of frogs that I said before are microhylids, and they have skin toxins, which would explain why the spiders don't really eat them. I don't know if they could and they'd survive, but they don't. So 
brushing past that fact, uh, scientists have found that these frogs benefit from living close to the spiders by eating small invertebrate that are attracted to the prey remains left over by the spiders. Um, the frogs also benefit by receiving protection from the spiders um, from other prey like snakes and other natural predators that want to eat these these little frogs. What's crazy is these frogs like to eat ants and ants happen to be one of the major predators of spider eggs. Didn't know that either. So a ton of little gems here. So by keeping these frogs around, these spiders get protection from for their eggs from other insects that might want to eat the spider eggs. And they've also found multiple tarantulas that have frog companions to keep their nests safe in all parts of the world. The frogs and the tarantulas have found to have shared tree holes where they live and a number of these little habitats have found to have spider eggs or juvenile spiders and frog eggs or juvenile frogs as well to be living together so just the fact that they have somehow become a pair to help each other live is a strange but interesting fact in itself um nature has a really weird way of showing that even when even the most unlikely creatures can benefit from each other. And I thought that was some pretty interesting stuff that you guys might want to hear. I hate insects, especially spiders, but I like frogs. And the fact that these two live together and kind of symbiotically protect each other is kind of mind altering. So you're welcome. Let's get on with the show. Now, as I said in the beginning of the podcast, you guys did a poll and the poll numbers showed that the environmental news is what you guys wanted to hear so that's what we're going to talk about today so since today's episode is all about the environment i want to share about some important facts that um have to do with the circle of life and balance of nature when certain animals go extinct in an area it, it can create all sorts of havoc and chaos for the surrounding ecosystem so take yellowstone national park for example there used to be a bunch of wolves until people started killing them and poisoning them until there were no longer any more in the area. And the park has suffered and changed in, in a multitude of different ways. Um, but back in 1995, Yellowstone reintroduced wolves back into the park after 70 years of the park not having wolves. And an amazing amount of changes happened to the park for the ecosystem to the to literally the physical geography of of the park that people weren't aware was going to happen. So wolves killed deer and diminished their population. And because of that, they also changed the deer's behaviors, which causes them to change their grazing areas and move around much more, which actually helps out the soil. Because of this change, the grassy valleys re regenerate and the trees in the park grow to as much as five times their previous height in just six years. The, the newer and taller trees provide homes for songbirds and they grow berries for bears to eat. And in turn, the healthy bear population kills more elk, which in turn help that cycle that the wolves have started. Um, wolves also kill coyotes, which can be an invasive species and help increase the population of rabbits and mice. This means that there is a larger food source for hawks, weasels, fox and badgers. Um, ravens and bald eagles tend to eat off these uh, larger mammal mammals kills so they have uh, more food there even the soil has uh, more variation to the path of the river 
and with elk on the run constantly because of all the wolves and more greenery growing next to the rivers, the river banks are able to stabilize, which means all of these benefits come from just reintroducing wolves to one park. Uh, certain species can come back from being endangered and strive again in abundance with the balance that these wolves have created, which is in itself is, is pretty interesting. Um, now that you know how important one animal can be to the ecosystem, our first story is about 20 wolf cubs being born in zoos. Um, they're actually being successfully integrated into wild packs to be raised as their own and diversify the gene pool of wild wolves. North America has a pretty persecuted species of wolves known as the Mexican wolf. But these this past spring, they've received a huge boost in the numbers with 20 wolf pups being born in captivity. Now, these pups are successfully being integrated with wild packs across the southwest United States. And these pups collectively have come from uh, breeding programs in zoos and wolf centers in Missouri. New Mexico, Kansas, California, and Arizona. Now, the 20 pups from seven different litters are actually placed into seven different wild packs in Arizona and New Mexico. And this method that they use of reintroduction is called cross-fostering. And it takes about 14-day-old pups and they place them in the wild, um, specifically wolf dens that have pups of their own at the same, uh, about the same age. And these cross-fostered wolves have the same survival rate as wild-born pups throughout their first year of life, which means most most likely they'll be um, living pretty well or their numbers will, you know, they'll survive. They pretty much survive. Um, I mentioned that many wolves were hunted and poisoned. And the reason for that is because in the mid-20th century, specific species of wolves were killing a lot of livestock. And, you know, farmers don't want their livestock dying, so they set up a, a bunch of traps with strict nine and a bunch of different things of that nature and, and killed off a ton of those wolves. But as we mentioned, all the benefits of these wolves bring to their surrounding ecosystems, um, many efforts to bring the wolves back have been successfully implemented. So having a diverse gene pool of wolves can help uh, in a number of ways, but definitely it'll help the wolf population and the ecosystem as well. So Wild wolf packs are they're also bouncing back from extinction in Europe. And thanks to the conservationists in America, it'll become uh, a lot more noticeable sooner than later. So with all the benefits that come with wild wolves being introduced, I think it's easy to understand why this is a positive environmental story worth sharing. Now, in the last couple of weeks, I shared a story on my Instagram about how the UK has been setting records for not using coal to power any of their utilities for quite some time now. I'm pretty sure they continue to hold the world record. So um, with the UK leading the world in uh, more low emission technology, a huge challenge that many people in the clean en energy business have to deal with is uh, storing a lot of that renewable energy that they collect. Um, we've spoken in previous podcasts about how much wind turbine energy can power tons of homes in the UK, and they are powering tons of homes um, to this day. Well, another company in England is developing the world's first liquid air battery storage facility for renewable energy. Um, and I know that's a mouthful, but basically this battery would be capable of powering about 200,000 homes for a whole day and storing renewable energy for weeks on end. 
and the facility is set for operation in 2022. So just about less than two years away. Um, the way this technology works is they transmission matter molecules, changing them from a solid to a liquid and then from a liquid to then a gas and they store that energy. Um, when the grid demand is low, the, the gas that has been stored for that energy gets used as a fuel for green energy wind turbine that can generate clean energy to be sent back into the grid. Um, the best part about this battery are basically the amount of power that it generates, the cost, which is a lot cheaper than what we're doing now, and the fact that it puts out zero emissions while still powering all of the uh, or supplying power to all of those homes. Um, the government has been helping support this battery project with a $10 million grant in hopes of supporting the county's decarb decarbonization goals and encouraging a green recovery from the COVID lockdowns that have hurt the English economy as well as economies all over the world pretty much. So in the future, this battery is projected to launch similar locations for similar battery systems in the UK europe and in the u.s but uh for now this project will be the first facility to come online and as i said before scheduled for completion in 2022 now this is a huge step into switching over from fossil fuels to clean energy and it's highly important that we do it sooner than later the uk is making some really huge moves into helping the earth purge itself of the terrible carbon footprint that we constantly have and with the covid lockdown in place the earth has already started to self-repair and you can see that and um if there was a if there was a time to act it would be right now in my opinion so everything is slowly opening and getting back to uh quote-unquote normal um the skies are have been clear and the, the the air is been clean but it's only gonna last for so long before we go back to how it was before but uh if we can take advantage of the already cleaner oceans and air quality to swap over to a cleaner and keep a, a cleaner environment momentum going um i think we'd all be better off but uh yeah so here's to, to being hopeful and hoping that the innovators keep up their hard work so the earth can have uh better longevity and be a healthier place where we can breathe a little easier so now for our last story we'll be revisiting that disgusting heap of garbage known as the great pacific garbage patch I know I've talked about this time and time again, but for those who don't know, there's a huge patch of garbage in the Pacific Ocean, um, twice the size of Texas. And uh, we've covered this multiple times and the efforts of different companies trying to rid the ocean of this type of plastic, especially from this specific area. Now, this time we have a company called o Ocean Voyage Institute, and they made history this past week, actually, uh, returning to the port of Honolulu on Tuesday, this voyage successfully successfully removed 103 tons of fishing nets and consumer plastics from that nasty garbage patch. It's more than doubled its own record-setting results from a 25-day trip last year where it recur recovered um it was a 48 it was during a 48-day expedition um and they recovered a little over 48 tons or something like that. But uh, the group's founder and executive director, Mary Crowley, says that they're headed back to sea in about two days, which would be about today or tomorrow, to gather more of that trash. 
so they're just constantly on it. And the crew has been working hard collecting more than 100 tons of toxic consumer plastic and nets. If you don't know, nets are, nets are a huge part of uh, the garbage in the ocean. Um, the group has renowned. The group is renowned. Renowned. Jeez, I can't even speak today. Renowned for developing effective methods to remove significant amounts of plastics out of the ocean, including 48 tons of plastics during two ocean cleanup voyages in 2019. So there you go. That's the, the number I was looking for. Their cargo ship has been using GPS satellite trackers since 2018 to help track the nets that they collect. And the Ocean Voyage Institute has uploaded a bunch of pictures showing all of the garbage that they pulled out of the ocean. And it's pretty it's a pretty amazing um, sight to see. Uh, I'll definitely share it on my on my pages um, within the coming week. But the team is committed to zero percent ending up in any landfill. Zero percent of the plastics and garbage that they they pick up from the ocean ending up in any landfill and is sending the sorted debris to recycling companies to be turned into insulation energy, which is a win win. Uh, the vessel and crew have left the Hawaiian port of Hilo on May 4th after a three week self-imposed quarantine period to ensure the health of their crew members due to the pandemic. Now, the D GPS trackers, the GPS tracking beacons we mentioned are being placed on fishing nets by volunteer uh, yachts and ships, which is awesome that other people are getting involved. And the Ocean Voyage Institute is launch launching a second voyage that will depart in two days to continue uh, the cleanup about of the area. But for how long that will be determined by the amount of donations and fundraising that they can get. Now, if you're interested in donating, you can donate to their site by PayPal or send in a check um, and you can check on their website uh, that I'll list in the show notes. The Ocean Voyage Institute has a goal to have another three to four boats working within the next year. So I think it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, goal for them. Over the long term, they are aiming to expand to other parts of the world, desperately needing cleaning up help so that abandoned fishnets will never again entangle or harm whale, dolphin, turtle or reefs. So that's amazing. I wanted to share this story for obvious reasons, but mainly because there are other companies and organizations dedicated to cleaning our oceans and they are absolutely they absolutely need to be highlighted much more than they're being right now, if at all. Um, people can only tackle problems that they know about. And with today, the media, they cover a lot of political problems and divide our nation constantly by influencing people with their opinions. But um you know, we see it with the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as the banning of the Confederate flags and removing of statues. While all of these are problems in their individual right, for sure. I'm not downplaying that at all. Um, no one problem outweighs the other, but this problem is a worldwide problem and it needs to be addressed and it needs the attention, a lot more attention than it's getting now. Um, but luckily, we got people in these areas that are trying to be a part of the solution. And this is why I do this podcast. Um, these are the types of people that need to be highlighted and need to be on the news. And people need to see that this stuff is going on. Um, not only for their sake, but because the more people know, the more people can get involved and help. And the quicker we can clean some of this crap up. So I hope I shined a little light and informed you on something you pro previously didn't know about. And 
gave you some positive outlook on some otherwise daunting information. <laughs> so uh, we're coming up to the end of the podcast now. Um, since we touched on a tiny bit on the many problems that are plaguing our world, uh, this week's Limelight PPDPT goes to Campaign Zero um, because uh, a lot of that momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement is kind of dwindled down somewhat in the media that I'm seeing because it's been a few weeks now since uh, George Floyd's untimely death. And uh, I wanted to continue to share places and organizations that are working to help change things in a positive direction. Uh, Campaign Zero is an organization that utilizes research-based policy solutions to end police brutality in the U.S. Uh, U.S. Campaign Zero's mission is to call on local state and federal lawmakers to make to take immediate action to adopt data-driven policy solutions to end this violence and hold police accountable Um, something i think we can all get on board with and understand why this needs to be a thing Um, just a quick statistic over a thousand people are killed by police every year in america that that should never be and this organization is just looking to drop that number or at minimum hold the officers responsible for some of those deaths and bring them to justice. Um, I've shared in our last podcast all of the laws that are changing and making their way through through the offices to be passed as laws if they don't get stopped. And uh, I'm not I'm not going to claim that I I know all the answers or what we should be doing um, because there is an obvious problem within our justice system. I'm just kind of trying to report and have everybody understand that that it is a real thing and if you refuse to believe that you're just lying to yourself and being willfully ignorant um but anyway if you like to donate or get involved with this organization you can go to joincampaignzero.org or check out the links in this description of the show that i'll have uh listed there so just to recap we touched on the creepy and unrelated fun fact about spiders and frogs uh we discussed the environment on and how both wolves and humans play a huge role and impact um both positive and negative on the environment and we discussed clean energy and speaking of clean we talked about how more organizations are coming together and trying to help clean and undo that huge garbage wasteland that we've collectively added to um so yeah this was another great podcast that has helped me with a more positive outlook on life, in my opinion anyway, and I hope it did the same for you. So uh, that's it for today. Uh, As always, I highly encourage you to check out the links in the show notes to give some some insight on what I'm reading so you can see the the full picture because I only kind of paint somewhat of a a little piece of the picture. And um, so you guys can give me some feedback on what are the topics you're interested in listening about. You know, so uh, thanks to Audiograph again for supplying us with those tools to engage with our lovely listeners, you people. And um, be sure to visit theblockisback.org to help donate for the meals and that block, block to school drive that we're having at the end of August. If there's anything at all you want to talk to me about or let me know, get in touch with me by emailing me at limelighthighlight.com or any of our social media platforms on Facebook and IG at limelighthighlight.com. Our Twitter handle is LL Highlight. And since you're already in the show notes, because I know that's where you're going to go to go participate in the polls, do me a favor while you're there, leave a rating, review, subscribe, share, and follow the podcast if you'd like to support. 
we are streaming everywhere as i said before that you can find podcasts so no excuse not to tune in but once again be sure to participate in the next poll if you have any questions you'd like me to ask in the upcoming interview i'm really excited for this one um tune in next week for more positive news and a great conversation where we dive into addiction and all the science behind it um i hope to hear from you soon and until next time be humble be helpful pay it forward be the best you and remember it ain't all bad thanks for listening